Hello everybody, it's Ian here. Uh, I didn't really expect to be doing one of these quite so soon. Um, I've got the book coming out in just over three weeks time now. But to be honest, I've just been feeling so... Um, oh God, how would you even describe the feeling? So unbelievably depressed and uh, upset by the whole Sarah Everard, Wayne Cousins thing and the fallout from that over the last sort of 24, 48 hours that I just felt compelled to do a short-ish episode to do uh, a few things. I'm going to come on and talk about the Sarah Everard thing uh, in a bit. But uh, I also just thought it might be useful to give you a bit of an update on where things are with the book and what's been going on and just sort of share with you how this whole process works because it's quite been quite interesting for me as someone who's had zero uh, involvement with the publishing industry. So, um, so yeah, so if I talk about that first then, um, as I say, the book's going to be published on the 26th of October. Um, a lot of my summer uh, was taken up with quite a lot of backwards and forwards editing um, from the publishers by it back, which was quite an interesting process. My pub, my editor is a chap called James, and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, they're very, very good, these editors, flipping out. They, they really have got eagle-eyed. They really spot things. They really understand how everything kind of knits together. He, he very kind of kindly told me that the manuscript that he received um, was kind of about 90% there, really. So he said that made his job a lot easier. So that was great. But then, bearing in mind that manuscript that he got his hands on uh, was probably, I don't know, version... 15. Um, so a lot of work had gone into it over the last two years to get it to, to that point. Um, so yeah, so that process was quite interesting and um, he did, sort of did two or three chapters at a time, would send them over to me in a Word document which I would go through and either kind of um, approve his observations and changes, um, whether it was just like a single word or a slight rephrasing of a sentence. Uh, so yeah, so it's all that all finished uh, towards the end of August, um, and then it sort of moves into the uh, publicity phase. So the publicist is a lady called Suzanne, and she's doing a lot of stuff um, with the media. I believe 70 copies of the book are going to be sent out to various media organisations, newspapers, TV, sort of opinion formers, etc., <clears throat> which is quite sort of nerve-wracking and terrifying, really, to think about all those people reading your book, uh, all of whom are going to be quite sort of opinionated, I suppose, in their own individual ways, and, and uh, some will be... Uh, extremely probably anti-police. Some will probably be somewhere, um, you know, fairly neutral, and others will probably be fairly pro-police. So there's going to be a broad um, sort of representation of views, no doubt, coming back. Um, so I did get my first um, request for an interview a couple of days ago. That was from the Sunday Times. He wanted to speak to me um, for an article this coming weekend. So today it's the 1st of October. Um, 
we had some discussion about that internally with the publishers and we decided that because of the whole Sarah Everard thing, I just think it would be possibly disrespectful to her memory and to her family um, to talk about something that really I'd had no involvement in. It would only be my opinion. Um, and, and I just felt as well that the, the whole kind of atmosphere around policing at the moment is just so unbelievably toxic that um, there was a danger that the whole conversation would become about um, about that incident rather than the wider issues from the book. So I politely declined the offer of the interview. Um, so yeah, so the so the book's uh, gone to the printers. Uh, it should be coming back to me for author copies fairly soon, uh, and I will be sending out some copies to close family and friends and uh, various other people who I hold in high regard and people who have helped me with the book. Um, so yeah, that'll be uh, be quite quite um, quite nice to sort of see it. It was dead exciting seeing the um, cover. Uh, for the first time, I think they did a brilliant job in their their in-house kind of um, design team did a brilliant job. It looks really brilliant. Um, did I say brilliant enough there? Sorry. It looks really, really professional. So just briefly, um, what have I been up to uh, apart from that? Um, well, uh, I moved house five or six weeks ago and um, that's been, as anybody who's moved house knows, that is a pretty grim and stressful experience um moving all that stuff going through everything beforehand getting rid of stuff numerous trips to charity shops numerous trips to the recycling center oh flipping heck. i'm just really glad it's behind us now and we can uh really enjoy our new home that we're we're loving it very much indeed um, what else been doing? I haven't been doing much paid work the last few months. Um, that was a deliberate choice on my part. I said to customers that um, I was going to focus on moving house and um, enjoying the summer with the kids and what have you. Um, I've been getting back into doing a lot more uh, chaplaincy work um, at the local hospice where I've been doing working there for about the last five years. I uh, really enjoy that. Um, we weren't able to get in. There's a team of... Uh, Covid's had a real bad impact on on the hospice for all sorts of reasons. Uh, unable to raise money um, for fundraising events and things like that. Um, massive issues around staffing. Um, we weren't able to go in as a chaplaincy team um, because of Covid. So we were able to start doing that again about, I don't know, what's that, about three months ago, something like that. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed doing that, um, and uh, yeah, doctors and nurses and what have you, they're all brilliant, and uh, had some really interesting chats with uh, patients, so yeah, good to be doing that again. It's funny, I was listening back to uh, a few of my podcasts, um, not in a self-congratulatory or narcissistic way, hopefully, but just in terms of um, trying to understand you know, what's good, what's not so good, how could I improve, uh, what are my annoying habits, etc. And uh, my main annoying habit, which I've picked up on, there's a few actually, um, my, one of my main annoying habits is going with my mouth as if I'm 
just swallowing something. Uh, that's really annoying, so I apologise for that. I did think about going back through episodes and editing my, my lip smacks and things like that, but to be honest, life's a bit short and uh, I can't be honest. So, um, uh, what else? Uh, I have a few verbal ticks that I pick up on quite a lot. I find I say things like in terms of quite a lot. I also say start sentences with so, which is quite annoying. So, yeah, anyway, enough of that. Um, self-flagellation. Um, so the plan around the podcast really is, uh, this is just a sort of like a placeholder um, until the book comes out. And then after that, I'm going to see how it all lands because it's going to be interesting to share with you my experiences of the different conversations that I have, various interviews, how they go. Do I feel I was fairly represented? Do I think I was stitched up? Uh, if, if that's the case, who stitched me up? And um, I'm going to record every interview I do. Um, I'm going to tell people I'm going to record those interviews as well because I just know that the media can be very mischievous. Um, the only media outlet that I've said that I won't um, do anything with is the, is the Daily Mail. Um, I find the Daily Mail are just a, a, a extremely anti-police um, publication. Some of the stuff they've done laterally, particularly around Cressida Dick, I think is really reprehensible. So I don't want to speak to them, quite frankly. Uh, I'll speak to pretty much anyone else. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to share with you how that all goes. And uh, yeah, I can either celebrate or commiserate, depending on whether I think I've had a fair crack of the whip. One thing it's kind of worth sharing with you, it's quite interesting how the response to everything I've done so far has been absolute silence from anyone at a senior level in policing. I'm, I don't know what, if anything, to read into that. It could be that they just don't care. It could be that uh, they're just um, keeping their counsel. I don't know. But it's what's, what's, what's really interesting, though, is that when you actually meet people face to face, when I'm out and about um, and I bump into people, um, some of whom are actually very senior in the police, they all um, say to me almost guiltily, oh, God, Ian, I'm really enjoying, um, you know, the stuff that you've been writing and stuff you've been doing in your podcast. It's really brilliant that you're saying all this. And they almost look guilty about saying it. And they're kind of almost looking over their shoulders if they're worried that someone's going to see them talking to me, you know, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, and these are like superintendents and chief superintendents. And you just think, oh, come on. You know, don't be so pathetic. Um, and this is half the reason why the police is in such a mess is because people haven't been speaking up when it's been crystal clear to anyone even remotely involved in policing that that's what's desperately been needed and has been completely and utterly absent from the public discourse around policing. Just in case you hear lots of um, aeroplanes, um, we live on the flight path into a light air, is it called a light airfield? It's not really a, the airfield that's light, is it? It's the planes that fly into the airfield. But we, we live quite close to an, an air, let's just call it an airfield, shall we? And um, there's these um, little planes that fly over our house. And um, so if it sounds as if I'm sort of, you've got the Battle of Britain going on outside, then that's what's going on. I do worry about these planes, if I'm honest, because, um, 
most of the blokes, and it is mainly blokes, I'm not being sexist here, most of the blokes who fly them are knocking on a bit. And, um, and I've got this vision of one of them having a heart attack and then stuffing his Cessna, whatever they are, Piper, Alpha, Bravo, whatever, his, set, his little plane, stuffing it into my living room uh, with me sat there watching telly one day. Um, and uh, it is slightly alarming because they do, they come over the roof at about 100 feet. And um, yeah, so let's just hope that if he's gonna have a heart attack, he has it somewhere well away from my house. Right, um, yeah, just come on to um, the whole issue around, as I said, around Sarah Everard and, and Wayne, that dis disgusting creature that is Wayne Cousins. Um, I think I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that there isn't a single police officer serving or um, ex-police officer who hasn't been completely horrified by this whole situation. It just fundamentally, oh God, I mean, where do you even start with this? Um, it's fundamentally the complete antithesis of everything that most police officers join to do. Most of us, the overwhelming majority of us, join the police because we want to protect the public and we want to take on the baddies and stop them from doing what they do. So to sort of see this whole thing playing out over the last you know, number of months, and particularly in the last week or so when he's been up for sentencing and he got his whole life term yesterday, has just been like a slow-moving car crash. Um, and, and I just feel desperately, desperately sorry well, number one, I feel desperately sorry for his poor, for Sarah's poor family, who are have just been must be going through hell, um, and I just can't even imagine. As a father of um, four kids, and my eldest is probably not that much younger than Sarah, so my eldest is twenty nine, um, living in London again, professional woman living in London, um, you know. So it's just a complete nightmare, and. Um, and to think that the person who did this was a serving police officer is just uh, absolutely unbelievable. Um, so I feel desperately sorry for her family, and I don't suppose they will ever recover from, from this awful thing. But I also feel desperately sorry for all of the police officers out there who now have to go back out into the communities and carry on trying to do this job um, and and I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I mean, I've I've been listening to some of the um, reaction uh, from politicians and from the media, and sadly even from some of our own ex senior officers who, some of whom have are just disgruntled and have got an agenda, um, you know, calling for the commissioner to resign and all of this stuff. Some of the stuff that has been um, spoken about is very sensible. Um, you know, obviously there's a massive requirement to uh, improve uh, the safety of, of women and girls in public spaces. Um, 
to have a more robust approach to domestic abuse and stalking and all of these things I think we probably all would all agree are desirable. Um, um, the vetting of police officers, clearly something's going to have to change there, I would suggest. Um, the vetting process, as it stands, as far as I can see, is a tick box, ex box exercise, which, uh, you know, where someone can basically pull the wool over the eyes of those who are asking the questions, they can tell lies. Um, and then uh, even, even at the most sort of secret and sensitive levels of vetting, of which I've been through myself several times in the counterterrorism world, even in that process, which is called DV uh, or enhanced DV, uh, developed vetting, even in those processes, um, people can, can lie their heads off. So really, for me, there needs to be a complete rethink on the whole process of vetting. And vetting, I think, needs to be seen as an ongoing process. Um, and I do probably foresee the likelihood of police officers and other public servants in sensitive roles um, having to routinely disclose their social media accounts for for ongoing monitoring. Um, I know that sounds very big brotherish, but I do think that may be um, part of the answer. And it was interesting. I was having a conversation this morning. Um, um, I'm going to I'm going to be involved in a technical a tech startup company where I'm going to be helping to run a tech startup company, developing. Um, technology for invest investigative technology and, and one of the things we were discussing this morning was um, uh, how, how can we develop um, some technology that will that will make that vetting process more effective um, and uh, without necessarily impinging on someone's civil liberties so um, so yes yeah, so that's going to be an interesting challenge um, but I'm slightly digressed there, but just talking about um, what is the impact of all of this going to be on serving police officers? Um, I think it's going to be pretty profound. Um, and the sad thing is, as we all know, is that um, all of the good people who make up the overwhelming majority of police officers nationally are going to now be tarnished and their lives are going to be made so much harder uh, and professionally and, and probably personally as well because the levels of stress, stress are going to be even greater now, I would suggest. Um, the impact of, of all of this on them is going to be profound. And, um, and I think in all of this, what I would sort of... My plea, I suppose, to opinion formers, politicians, senior officers, and the media would be, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's remember that most police officers, the overwhelming majority of them are good people. And they're good people who have been treated really unbelievably badly by this current government, or certainly earlier iterations of this particular Tory government, unbelievably badly in terms of their terms and conditions of employment being much, much less attractive now than they were previously. Um, pensions, much, uh, much less reason to stay in the organisation for a long period of time now and 
um, because the pension just isn't worth hanging out for 40 years for. Um, yeah, the all of the nonsensical bureaucracy, the demands of the criminal justice system that have just become so extreme that it makes arresting and prosecuting someone, even for the most trivial offence, such a painful process. Um, and then you add into all of that shit, you add in a dickhead like Wayne Cousins, who then, as in a, you know, at a stroke, has made an entire generation of young women feel even more insecure as they walk about, um, particularly after the hours of darkness. And for me, um, what is entirely absent from all of the narrative around Sarah Everard, which um, is the elephant in the room as far as I can see, is that since 2010, uh, the Met have closed and or sold off three quarters of their police stations in London. So the figures I saw the other day, I stand to be corrected on this, but I think I'm right. Back in 2010, they had 141 or it could have been 142 police stations in London. They've now got 36. So the impact of that, as well as losing all the people as well, is that the streets are much less safe. There just are fewer cops out and about. Um, they're not based in the community anymore. Um, so when they're coming and going backwards and forwards between those local um, police stations, as, as would have been the case before 2010, um, they would have been much more visible to members of the public, which creates that sort of that sort of sense of you know um, public safety. Whereas now they're all based in hubs, and they have to drive miles and miles and miles to get to where they might be patrolling. And then because of the ridiculous levels of demand that that currently um, police officers have to deal with much of which has got absolutely nothing to do with policing whatsoever, but because we're the only 24-7 service left, um, it's down to the police to mop up all this stuff. All of these things, all of the stuff that's happened in the last 10 to 12 years has consequences. And when I'm seeing those consequences play out on the streets uh, in terms of you know the high levels of um, knife crime, um, county lines, um, you know, women um, being attacked, and there was this that other dreadful one in London there just over a week ago, where there's a a chap has been um, charged with her murder. Another again um, lone female taken off the streets and murdered by a lone male predator. Um, and whilst these things are obviously incredibly rare, when they do happen, the impact is massive. So, so yeah, so it, as I say, absent in all of this narrative has been, why are there so few cops out and about? Well, I think anyone in the police now knows that, but the public don't understand that. The public don't understand what's gone on to really screw up the police service over the last 10 years. And hopefully, um, by reading my book, people will 
you know, be able to form their own opinions about that. Right, I've, uh, I've, I've done what I said I was going to set out to do. I've got that all off my chest anyway, but... But yeah, all it'd say is message. So what would if you're if you're currently serving police officer and you're you're sort of sitting there, you know, understandably probably now with your head in your hands thinking, oh for fuck's sake, could it possibly could it possibly get any worse? My advice to you would be this. Just keep calm and carry on. I know that's a much, much overused expression but just keep doing what you're doing. Do it in the knowledge that the majority of the British public support what you do. They, make, they might not make much of a fuss or make much noise about telling you that, but believe me, they do. Um, try not to listen to the voices, um, you know, calling for defunding the police and all that, all that shite. Just don't listen to it because it's nonsense. Just get out there, do the right thing, look after the public, show, demonstrate um, your professionalism every single day you go to work. Do not let give the critics any reason to criticise us further. Um, and at this risk of sounding a bit like your dad to the younger officers, could you stop putting shit on social media and sharing stupid messages or images or videos or whatever it is you might think it's a laugh but it's it's just you're putting yourself in so much jeopardy and the reputation for the organization is 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 been damaged enough so exercise some common sense and sound judgment when it comes to what you do when you're on duty, what you do when you're off duty, what you choose to share on social media, what you say to people. I know that's a hard, it's a big ask, isn't it? Because you're, you're only human. But, you know, the only way the police service is going to recover is to show people that we're good, we're, we're the good, we're the good guys. Okay, we are the good guys. We always have been, but we need to show it now more than ever. Right, I'm going to bugger off now. Um, I'm not going to put anything out now until after the book's been published. And um, yeah, so let's see how that goes. Right, take care and uh, speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.